You're listening to Solace Radio on the Meander Radio Network. Well, hello, everyone. This is Bill Cloud. I want to welcome you to this teaching series called In the Volume of the Scroll. And this first session is called Lo, I Come. And, uh, and what we're going to be discussing in this, uh, this uh, next 60 minutes or so is how the, uh, the Bible, but specifically the Torah, uh, teaches about Yeshua, reveals Yeshua, um, not only, uh, you know, the, the story of the Messiah, but actually it gets a little more specific. And, and, um, what we're going to be kind of concentrating on is how the Torah on the level of secrets, which is something we'll develop later on, how it teaches how the Messiah would suffer, uh, how he would be resurrected. Um, you know, if you remember back in the scripture, on the day of resurrection, the day that Yeshua had come from the tomb, you remember that in Luke chapter 24, there were there were two disciples or there were, uh, two men on the road to Emmaus, and they were joined by, of course, it was Yeshua. They didn't realize who that was at the time. Uh, but they were talking about all the things that had happened in Jerusalem, how, uh, you know, he had been uh, executed and, and there had been reports from women that uh, they had gone to the tomb, uh, this being the third day, and he was not there in the tomb. And then there were other disciples who had gone and discovered the same thing and how these guys were just really um, uh, mystified by all the reports they were hearing coming out of, Jer- of Jerusalem. Uh, and, of course, they had made the statement in this, this passage of Scripture that we had trusted that, that he would redeem Israel. In other words, it sounds like these men are, uh, are have come to the conclusion that, you know, we thought this was the Messiah, but apparently he was not the Messiah. And they had trusted he would redeem Israel. And then in Luke chapter 24, verse 25, it says that Yeshua said, he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And that word all is key there. All that the prophets have spoken. All not Messiah to have suffered these things? He's asking them a question. You know, you guys are you're you're perplexed by the fact that this man you thought was Messiah was executed, you know? But ought not Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now why would he Make a statement like that. If it was, if this was information that had never been revealed about Messiah, and that, what I mean by that, that, uh, that his suffering before he could enter into his glory, if it had never been revealed, why would he, why would he ask a question like this? In other words, he is implying here that it's in the scriptures. You didn't believe all that was written in the prophets. And then he goes on to say, and beginning at Moses, and that, when it says that, it's, it's really talking about the Torah, the, the, the Torah that Moses wrote down for all of Israel. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what we see here is that within the scripture, in the prophets, and as again, we're going to specifically concentrate on Moses or the Torah, um, he, he explains to them how in the Torah, how in the prophets, they, the book has already shown, has already revealed to the people who could believe, who would believe, that Messiah had to suffer before he could enter into his glory. Now, his disciples were obviously slow to believe these things. Look with me further down in Luke 24, 
verse 44. It says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, or in the Torah, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Now I want to pause just briefly here. Um, you know, Yeshua does something for us here. He, 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 he shows us that in all three uh, components of what is called the Tanakh, the Tanakh is an acrostic for the Torah, the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which is the writings. Here it's referred to as the Psalms. It's not, it's not talking about just the book of Psalms, but it's talking about the Ketuvim, the writings uh, of which the Psalms is part of. But anyway, he says, he says, all these things had to be fulfilled. I, I told you these things. These things had to be fulfilled, which were written in the Torah, in the Nevi'im, the prophets, and in the Ketuvim, the, the Psalms, or the writings concerning me. And then it says, he opened their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures, they've heard the Scriptures, they've read the Scriptures, but they didn't understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Messiah to suffer. See, he is concentrating, it's implied at least here, that when he opened these things up to them, he was emphasizing that this is, you know, these things in the Scriptures were showing that Messiah had to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So once again here we see that Yeshua is is showing disciples, his disciples there on that very, the first day he had risen from the dead. He was showing them that the scriptures have already revealed that Messiah was to suffer, that Messiah was to die and would be resurrected on the third day. Now, we can see that this this suffering Messiah is hinted at in the prophets. Of course, we can you know one of the most famous prophecies, I guess, about the suffering Messiah is in Isaiah fifty three. We'll read just a little bit of that. Verse four says, "Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted." But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. So, and I know that there are a lot of Jewish people who uh, say this is speaking of Israel, but Maimonides, one of the most famous uh, rabbis of all time, uh, has written that this was speaking of the Messiah. Um, this is obviously showing us that the Messiah would be uh, would suffer, uh, and that it was actually God's plan that he would suffer. Uh, another hint at the suffering Messiah and, and actually being resurrected is found in the story of Jonah. 
of course, you know, uh, Yeshua referred to the story of Jonah, you know, and he said, uh, you know, when some of the elders came to him and said, you know, we, we want another sign. He said, I'm not going to give you any more signs uh, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And what was that sign? He says, well, he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man uh, will be in the belly of the earth. He'll be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So Jonah, according to the words of Yeshua, was a was really speaking and hinting at that the Messiah would die and be resurrected. Now, how does Jonah fit into that? Well, if you read the text of Jonah very carefully, and we don't have time to really get into this in this particular session, but if you read in the, in, in the, the story of Jonah and the account um, that Jonah writes when he was down in the belly of the fish, um, he literally died. He didn't just, you know, hang out there three days, you know, <laughs> uh, wondering what was going to happen. He literally died because it talks about going down to Sheol, or we would say hell. And of course, before Yeshua came, Sheol was divided into upper and lower, uh, and the righteous dead would go to the uh, the bosom of Abraham, which was upper shell, and the, the wicked would go to the lower depths of shell. And, of course, there was this gulf between them. This is referred to in the book of Luke. But at any rate, the story of Jonah is a hint that, and a story about, that the Messiah would die, and he would be resurrected. He would come back to life, He, you know, after three days. Um, of course, Jonah, you know, he did not, uh, Jonah, when he went on his mission was not just to his people. Actually, his mission was to the Gentiles. And, of course, uh, you know, we just read how in the book of Luke, Yeshua told his disciples that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, the Gentiles included, beginning at Jerusalem. So there is a hint there in the prophets that the Messiah would suffer and he would die but he would be resurrected. Um, this same theme is hinted at in the Psalms, in the Ketuvim, the writings. Uh, Psalm 2. I'm going to read the entire Psalm here because it's very interesting. It says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, and that in Hebrew is, his anointed is Meshicho, Meshicho, which is his Messiah. So this, you know, to kind of put this in text, uh, in context here, uh, the heathen are raging, the kings of the earth are taking counsel against the Lord and against his Messiah, his Messiah, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens will laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now who is my king? My king is his anointed, his Messiah. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, now who is he speaking to? Who, who is the Lord speaking to? He's speaking unto his anointed, his Messiah, his king. He says unto me, you are my son. This day have I begotten you. Ask of me and I shall give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Be wise now, therefore, you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And then he says, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Now, who is uh, the him there referred to at the end who those that put their trust in him are blessed? Uh, that is referring back to the son, his Messiah, his king. All those that put their trust in him are blessed. And, of course, Yeshua said just before he uh, ascended back into heaven, you know, he he was speaking to, to Thomas and all the disciples there when Thomas said, unless I you know, can touch him, unless I see him, I will not believe. And, of course, Yeshua allowed him to do that. But then he says, blessed are all those who have not seen and yet have believed. Um, and, and this, I believe, is referring, uh, in, in a sense, back to this psalm here, because this is talking about his Messiah, who is his son, who is his king. And, of course, that kingdom that has no end, the dominion that has no end, referred to in Daniel chapter uh, 7. Now, there's another uh, another passage in the Ketuvim, uh, in the writings, which is the third component of the Tanakh, uh, that we want to look at here, because it's very, very interesting. And I know that many of you have read the scripture, but I want to, to go over a couple of things, perhaps show you some things that you have not uh, heard. But this is found in Proverbs 30, verse 4. Um, of course, the psalm that we just read, Psalm 2, um, establishes, you know, beyond doubt, at least in my mind, that the Messiah is the Son. You know, it's not just a mere man, but He is the Son. He's the begotten of God. Now, in Proverbs 34, we read a very interesting scripture. It says, Who has ascended up into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? Well, of course, everybody knows when they read that that the only person, or the only, I shouldn't say person, the only one to have ascended up into heaven, who, who, who can gather the wind in his fist, who's bound the waters, uh, who's established the ends, of, the ends of the earth. Well, that's, that's the Lord. That's God. This is what is his name? And what is his son's name, if you can tell? What is his son's name? So, you know, it's saying here, number one, that God has a son. Now, there will be those who will say, well, it's referring to Israel. He refers to Israel as his son. Well, true. But as we're going to see here shortly, the scripture is not one-dimensional. It's not, you know, just one-dimensional, but multidimensional. Uh, the scripture could be teaching things at, uh, on different levels simultaneously. We're going to establish that and, and build upon that in just a moment. But it says here specifically, you know, it's referring to God because he's the one who has established the ends of the earth. It says, what is his name and what is his son's name, if the way the King James read, if thou canst tell. Now, I want to read the same scripture from the New American Standard uh, because the way they translate it here at the end, it's, it's kind of interesting. It says, Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? 
or his son's name, and then it ends it this way. Surely you know. It's almost as uh, when this was written, surely you know that the Lord has done all these things. Surely you know his name, and surely you know his son's name. You should understand who his son is. You should understand his son's name. Now, how would they know he had a son? How would they know to even ask the question here in Proverbs, you know, what is his son's name? And then to end the statement by saying, surely you know. You know, in the Proverbs, what is, you know, there's a lot of different things in Proverbs. But one of the prevailing themes in Proverbs is to gain wisdom, get wisdom, have wisdom. And, of course, how do we get wisdom? We get it from the Lord. Where does wisdom come through? It comes from the Scripture. It comes through the Scripture. And so I believe this is a uh, is almost as a, a, a challenge being uh, uh, thrown out here. Listen, you know that, that the Lord has done all these things. It is the Lord who's established the ends of the earth. What's his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. And how would you know? Because it's revealed in the Torah. It's revealed in the writings of Moses. Now... <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, we want to go there real quick and read something. And this, we're going to kind of go down uh, a little rabbi trail here, if you will. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul writes, Wherefore he says, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heaven, that he might fulfill all things. Now, I want you to notice several things here. Of course, you, you know, Paul, Shaul, is a rabbi. He's, uh, I would even go so, so far to say he would have been considered a sage. You know, this is a very learned man in the scripture, in the Torah. And he uses some words here that that allude to, I believe, uh, a couple of scriptures, but in particular this scripture found in Proverbs 30, verse 4, because he talks about ascending and descending. And that is the first line in verse 4 of Proverbs chapter 30, who was ascended into heaven and descended. So he is talking about this, this ascension and this descending. But he says, now something very interesting, that he first descends, then he ascends. And that's interesting, and this is the little rabbi trail I was talking about, because there are two Hebrew letters, um, well actually three Hebrew letters that are unique, and they're, they're, the reason that they're unique is because of their, um, uh, for lack of a better word, their size. There's one letter called Kuf, that if you're familiar with Hebrew, uh, we've, we've got it here in the, the outline, you can see what it looks like. But that letter is the only letter in the Hebrew alphabet, other than the some of the um, uh, final forms of letters, the sofit. But anyway, the kuf is the only letter in Hebrew that descends. If you look at all the Hebrew letters, uh, all but three of them look like you know the little block letters. But the kuf does not; it descends. There is one Hebrew letter called lamid that ascends, ascends. 
And so what I'm saying is this. Paul says that he first descended. Let's substitute the only Hebrew letter that descends. That's the kuf. And then he ascends. The only Hebrew letter that ascends is the lamid. And when we put those two together in that order, kuf, lamid, it spells the Hebrew word kol or voice. Now, what's interesting is when Paul talks about he first descended into the lower parts of the earth, now he has ascended up above the heavens that he might fill all things. He, he says in other scriptures, Romans chapter 8, Ephesians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 1, that when he ascended, that he sat down on the right hand of God. Now, that's very interesting because the Hebrew word for hand is yad. And yad, the word, is very close to the word or letter yod or yud. And in fact, the Hebrew letter yud is said to be a hand. Now, when you put that descending letter kuf, the ascending letter lamid, and then the hand, the yud, which is the smallest Hebrew letter, when you put those together in that order, they spell the Hebrew word koli. Koli means my voice. And so what we're saying here is that in, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, the one who has descended, the one who has ascended, who is he? He's my voice. He's my word. He is the word of God. He is the son of God. And so these are some things that are revealed in the scripture. Now, <clears throat> we said all that to say this. In Psalm 40, verse 7, and this is where the scripture from where, where we get the title of our session today, it says, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. In the volume of the book it is written of me. What is this talking about? The volume of the book, the Megillat of the book, of the Sefer, that is the word there. It is written of me. Everything in the book, everything in Scripture is to show, to, to hint at, to reveal, to teach about His voice, His Word, His Messiah, the Son. Uh, he is revealed through the Torah. He is revealed through the writings of Moses. Now, it's easy for us to see, I believe, the, the different types and shadows or certain types and shadows that are revealed in the, in the Torah. But what was really um, perplexing Yeshua's disciples there early on was, here we believed he was the Messiah, we saw all these different signs, we saw him do all these incredible things that only the Messiah is supposed to be able to do. But now he's been executed, he's been, he's been crucified, he was buried. We're hearing reports that his body's not in the tomb. We're kind of mixed up. So my point about this is, is, is though there are types and shadows in the scripture that would reveal the Messiah, apparently many of Jesus, Yeshua's disciples didn't understand from the scripture that his death and his resurrection were, were revealed in the Torah. They didn't see that. Now, perhaps some of the disciples did, uh, did see early on that uh, what he was doing and what he was teaching 
certainly made him, qualified him to be the one uh, known as the Redeemer of Israel, the Messiah. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 45, you remember when Philip, uh, he went looking for Nathanael and he said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law or in the Torah and the prophets did write Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He said, we found him. This is the one that Moses was talking about. This is the one that the prophets had been uh, saying and writing would come. And yet, when he's crucified, it, it throws him for a loop. When he's when he's executed, they don't understand what's going on. Why did this happen? Because they didn't understand that the Torah had taught that this was going to happen. Obviously, the religious leaders did not understand it. They certainly didn't understand it. But it had been there, it had been revealed in the Torah all along that the Messiah, uh, yes, he was going to come and do all these great and wonderful things. He was going to reveal secrets. He was going to heal. He was going to uh, be able to accomplish all these great and wonderful signs. But apparently, um, no one saw that the Messiah was going to be uh, was going to die, was going to die and then be resurrected from the dead, even though <laughs> even though Yeshua had you know had already been telling his disciples this is what 's going to happen, it still uh, perplexed them but so that we went we went all through that just to kind of lay the groundwork for what we really want to establish in this teaching in in that how in the volume of the book it is written of me and what is written of me uh what is written of the messiah well lots of things he is my messiah he is the son of god he is the only begotten of the father he is my king uh he is the word of god etc cetera, etc cetera. he's going to do all this these great things but also what is written of him is that he would die, that he would suffer, and that he would be uh, raised from the dead. And that is still, still the sticking point uh, for many, uh, many people, in that whether they are, are religious or non-religious, you know, secular people don't believe that it's possible for anybody, to be, number one, to be born of a virgin, but number two, to be, you know, resurrected from the dead. Um, mainstream Judaism obviously does not accept Yeshua as Messiah because they don't believe that he, you know, they don't believe that God has a son. Um, they certainly don't believe that he was born of a virgin, and they don't believe he was, you know, resurrected from the dead. And the people that, he, that Yeshua encountered at the time didn't believe that either. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, but they didn't understand it, they didn't accept it then, nor do they accept it now, because, as Yeshua said, they didn't believe Moses. They didn't believe the Torah. In John chapter 5, um, we'll begin to read this. We may have to uh, stop in the middle of this passage of Scripture, because it's kind of lengthy when we're beginning to get to the end of this side of the tape. But in John chapter 5, I want to read a pretty good portion of Scripture here because I want you to see some things. Starting at verse 16, it says, And therefore did the Jews persecute Yeshua and sought to slay him. And the Jews is referring to some of the elites, you know, some of the, the religious elite. And they sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Yeshua answered them, My father works hitherto, and I work. 
Therefore the Jews sought more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. He referred to the Father not as our Father, which Avinu, which is typical in Judaism, but he referred to him as my Father, my Father. And that's what they were upset about, because they thought, well, if he, you know, if he calls him my Father, then he's saying he's God's Son, and only... The Messiah is supposed to be able to do that. He can't do that. Then answered Yeshua and said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For what things soever he does, there also the Son, these also does the Son likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that himself, that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you will marvel. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickens them, even so the Son quickens whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son, honors not the Father which has sent him. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that hears my word, and believes on him that sent me, has everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now we're continuing to read in John chapter 5, and what's going on here is that there are several uh, the religious people in Yeshua's day who are who just really want, wanting to kill him because they believe he is blaspheming, because he is making himself equal with God. And, you know, Yeshua just really begins to, you know, to teach them some things, you know, and he, quite frankly, I believe, is alluding to certain things that are mentioned in uh, in the volume of the book, he refers to this son. You remember Psalm 2 talks about, uh, you are my son, this day have I begotten you, uh, kiss the son, uh, etc. So he's referring to the son, he's referring to the father, making them uh, one and the same. And then in verse 25, he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and uh, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. And here we see a little hint, you know, that you know uh, God is because he is. And he's saying that the Son, likewise, has been given that. Uh, he has life in himself, and and so perhaps that this is a this is a hint at you know uh, at the coming resurrection. And he has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. And I believe with all my heart when he said that because he is the Son of Man that he didn't use the Hebrew phrase for Son of Man, Ben Adam, but would have used the Aramaic. Uh, 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 version of that, he would have said Bar Enosh, and had he done that, he would have been alluding to Daniel seven fourteen, which talks about one like the Son of Man who is given a kingdom and, and a dominion. Because in Daniel seven fourteen, the only time in Scripture that the Son of Man is translated Bar Enosh, uh, that's where it is. Everywhere else, it's Ben Adam. 
So by referring to himself as the son of man, using the phrase bar enosh, he would have been saying, I'm the one that is spoken of in Daniel 7.14. So you can see if these people are not really ready to accept that the Messiah is here, uh, you could see how they would be so upset because he's saying some very, very provocative things here. Anyway, he says, marvel not at this. You know, and obviously when he said this, they're just stunned. They're stunned. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now, there's there's something else going on here. He is, and this is kind of a sidebar. It's not really uh, what we're dealing with today, but you know, there's a there's a principle in 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 the Torah that nobody. Nothing can be judged just because of uh, because of the witness of of uh, or the testimony of one witness. Everything has to be established by two or more witnesses. And so, what Yeshua is saying: if I just witness of myself, my witness is not true. That's not proof. That's not proof because everything has to be established by two or more witnesses. But he says there is another that bears witness of me, and I know that the witness he witnesses of me is true. You sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man. But these things I say that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me. So he's saying, okay, I'm not going to just bear witness of myself. First of all, there's John the Baptist. He was a witness of me. He said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, etc., etc. But listen, you know, I can do better than that. The works that I do bear witness of me because the Father has sent me to do these things. And the Father himself, which has sent me, has borne witness of me. Now, he says, You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. So then how has the Father borne witness of him? That's the point there. And here, here he is. And you have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent him you don't believe. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. In other words, the Father has, has borne witness of me. He didn't appear in any uh, shape. These people had not heard his voice at any time. So how did the Father bear witness of me? Through the Scriptures. But he says, you don't have his word abiding in you. Therefore, you, you don't believe me. You don't believe me. You search the Scriptures, he says. You think that in the Scriptures you have eternal life, but those are the very things that testify me. Those words that that you believe you have eternal life in, they are testifying of me. But you will not come to me that you might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. 
I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? Listen to this. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? He is, he's just laying it on the line here. He's basically saying, you, you know, you recite scripture, you read scripture, you memorize scripture. And you do this because you believe by doing this you have eternal life. And he's saying, you have missed the point. Because the whole reason these things were given to you were to teach and to testify of me. But because you don't believe them, you don't discern them, you don't apply them, then you can't understand me, you won't receive me. And he says, I'm not going to accuse you. He says, Moses, the very one, Moshe Rebbeinu, Moses, our teacher, the one that you put so much trust in, he is going to stand up and accuse you because the whole purpose of what he wrote was to testify of me. But you don't believe me because you don't believe him. Now, that to me is just very, very, uh, is absolutely astounding what's being uh, said here. The Torah, the very thing that they put their trust in, accuses them. Accuses them because um, it, it is all about Messiah. Psalm 40, verse 7, once again. Then said, I lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Now, I, I mentioned this earlier in, in the tape, but I want to go back to it and just kind of uh, develop this a little bit. There are four levels, at least four levels, uh, where we can view the Torah. And uh, you may have heard this before, for those of you who have not. It, it, these four levels are called Peshat, which means the literal meaning. Remes, which is an allusion to something. You allude to uh, a teaching or a scripture or a concept. Drush. Drush is an inference or, or a hint. And then you have what's called Sod. Sod is the mysterious, the secret things. So... Uh, these are at least four levels that Torah can be studied upon. Now, when we read an account in the Torah, you know, when we read a story in, in Torah about, you know, Joseph, there is a literal meaning there. There is something that literally happened. It actually is an historical account of something that happened, and there are principles that we can learn from these stories. That is the Peshat, that is the literal meaning. But when we read these stories in the Torah... When we read these accounts, there are things that are also alluded to. There are things that are hinted at, and then there are secret things there to be revealed to us. God has concealed secret things in the Torah, in the, in the, the prophets, in the writings, uh, that we can, um, that can be revealed to us. In Proverbs 25, verse 2, Scripture says, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Now, what is that saying? Well, I think we understand it a little better when we do a, a little word study and, and we go back and look at the word thing. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. The honor of kings is to search out a matter. The word thing and the word matter 
are the same Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word is devar. And devar means a word or a message. So in other words, Proverbs 25.2 is really saying to us, it is the glory of God to conceal a word or a message, but the honor of kings is to search out that message, to search out that word. God has concealed messages within the Scripture. God has concealed things within the Scripture. But we have to be able to search out those things. Uh, we have to be able to read the Scripture and to believe the Scripture, and then these things are revealed to us. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Why? That we may do all the words of this Torah, of this law. Now, when, when we do all the words of this Torah, what is that just talking about? Religious rote? No. Because when we do these words, we believe these words, and that is how Messiah is revealed to us. That is how Messiah is revealed to us, because the volume of the book is speaking of him. You know, many people don't believe that Christians should observe any of the biblical feast days, uh, Sabbath, these things, etc. And they say, well, that's going under the law. They don't understand that when we do these things, it, we are doing these things because we believe them, and they are revealing to us the Messiah. They were revealing to us even more of the Messiah. We, we begin to truly understand these things. And so it's not about going under the law. It's about believing God. Of course, that is another topic. But God, and here's the point we wanted to make, though, with these scriptures. God does reveal secret things to us within the Torah. And Messiah is revealed in the Torah on that level. Um, um, just an example. The Ark of Noah. We all know the types and shadows about the, the Ark of Noah, how it represents the Messiah. But what you may not know, some of you may, is that the Bible says specifically that the, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat on the 17th day of the 7th month. Now, <clears throat> this was before uh, God made the month Aviv, the first month on the calendar in Exodus chapter uh, 12. And so the 7th month in Genesis chapter 8, where this uh, passage comes from, uh, would be the seventh month counted from Tishrei, what we call Tishrei, which would be the month of Aviv or Nisan. And the 17th day of Aviv would be um, the day that Yeshua would later be raised from the tomb on because he was crucified on the 14th day, the preparation day, the 14th day of Aviv, and we know that he rose three days later, 17th day of Aviv. And so the mountain came to rest uh, excuse me, the ark came to rest on the mountains on the 17th day of Aviv. And what does that do? That That is, God is res restoring Noah, his family, you know, back uh, to the earth. They have come through the, the storm, the flood, etc. So there are little secrets all through the scriptures which teach about the Messiah. Now, I want to go to John chapter 6 <clears throat> and look at verse 30. It says, They said therefore unto him, What sign will you show us then that we may see and believe you? What do you work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Then Yeshua said unto them, Truly I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. In other words, he is saying that, and if I can paraphrase it this way, you know, Moses didn't give you that bread. Do you know why that bread came down from heaven? It was simply to give you and to teach you that he was going to send you the true bread from heaven that gives real life. The manna just sustained them from day to day. But it was it was showing that he was going to send you the true bread from heaven that gives life to the world. That's the whole reason that happened. Going, uh, going on down to verse 47, he says, Truly I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. In other words, once again, he was saying that the, the whole account there in the Torah... Yes, there was a literal historical event that happened when manna came down from heaven. But your fathers ate that, and your fathers are dead. So that was not the end of the story. But it was to show that God was going to send his Messiah. He was going to send his His living bread from heaven so that the whole world would have life. And in fact, you know, Yeshua was born in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. But anyway, that's just a couple of examples of what we're, we're talking about, this secret level. Uh, but now, more specifically, how does the Torah <clears throat> reveal, not the prophets, not the writings, but how does the Torah, the five books of Moses, reveal a suffering and resurrected Messiah? Um, Luke chapter 24, verse 25, we read it earlier. Messiah himself said, Ought not Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Well, when did these things happen? They happened at Passover. Of course, Exodus 19 is a picture. It shows us that Messiah, the, the Redeemer, he was going to suffer. He was going to be a lamb led to slaughter. He was going to be, uh, he was, his blood was going to atone for uh, for all of the nation, and his blood would be the token that God would uh, see, and the destructor or the destroyer would not be permitted to come in. And so, this is a how the Torah talks about and, and teaches that the Messiah was going to suffer; he was going to die. The brazen serpent is another example. John chapter three, verse thirteen, and no man. And listen to this wording here. This is interesting. And no man has ascended up to heaven. Remember what we read in, in Proverbs chapter thirty about who has ascended up to heaven, who has descended. He says, and no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So I believe he's alluding here to Proverbs 30, verse 4. And then he goes on to say, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, it's very, very interesting. Uh, again, you know, we, we talked about the four levels of study and how 
um, and, and how you know you can look at the Torah, view the Torah on these four different levels, and how you know certain things are alluded to, certain things are hinted at. Yeshua is certainly alluding to Proverbs thirty verse four here when he talks about no man is ascended up to heaven, but he that came down, and who is that? The Son of Man. And then he talks about this serpent in the wilderness. Here is something on that secret level. The word for serpent in Hebrew is nachash. Nachash. Nachash is the serpent. Numerically, the, the Hebrew word nachash is equivalent to the Hebrew word Moshiach, or Messiah. Messiah. And so what Yeshua was saying is that, if I can put it this way, do you know why Moses lifted that serpent up? What was the story? The story was the people had been murmuring. They were bitten by these fiery serpents. They were dying in droves. So what does what, what does God do? He he has Moses take a brazen serpent, the very image of the thing that that, that brought death to them. And they were made to look up on that pole and see that brazen serpent. And when they looked up on that pole, and they believed, then they were made they were they were healed. And that was what that story was all about. This is what the how the Torah was teaching about Messiah. Well, what about the resurrected Messiah? Well, we go to the, the story of Abraham and the birth of the promised son. And, of course, that means uh, referring to Isaac. And, of course, the, this promised seed was going to have a miraculous birth. He was going to have a miraculous birth because Sarah was not supposed to be able to give birth. She was past the age of giving uh, birth. And so this promised son had a miraculous birth. And, of course, you know, Yeshua had a miraculous birth. The Messiah would have a miraculous birth. And this is what the Torah was teaching on that level of, of where we have to mine and dig for these secrets. It also uh, shows us in in the Torah, in the story of Abraham and Isaac, that this promised son was going to die. He was going to die. Because when Abraham took Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah, he fully expected to Isaac, for Isaac to be killed, to die. But he also expected him to be resurrected from the dead. Because in Hebrews 11, verse 17, we can see, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and that he had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall your seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he had received him in a figure. So when we look at this story, we see a historical event, but we're also seeing God is teaching about Yeshua. He is teaching about the Messiah, that he would be a promised son. He is the promise of Genesis chapter 3, the promised seed. He would have a miraculous birth, be born of a virgin, okay, and that he would die. Isaac, although Isaac didn't die in in Abraham's heart, he was already dead, and he would be resurrected. This is what Abraham believed that God was going to raise him up from the dead. And of course, where is where's the backdrop for this event? It's on Mount Moriah. It's there, what would later be the the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And of course, Yeshua was was crucified in this area. Another story that we have that teaches about the resurrected Messiah, the righteous Abel. Why was Abel struck down? Because he was he was making 
a, an offering unto the Lord that the Lord accepted. And because of this, he was struck down by his brother. His brother was made to wander. He was made to wander, but with protection. He had the seal upon him that protected him, but yet he was, he was destined to wander. And after righteous Abel is dead, in his place is born Sheth, or Seth, which means appointed. And it's very interesting. We're beginning to run out of time. I hope we can get all this in very quickly. But in his place comes Seth, or Sheth, and that word Sheth comes from a word Sheath, Sheath, and the Sheath is the uh, channel that was at the brazen altar. It was not man-made, but it was a natural channel that uh, there on top of Mount Moriah at the Temple Mount that was in the bedrock of the mountain that went all the way down under the mountain and emptied out into the Valley Kidron so that when the priests would make sacrifices and uh, and all this blood was there, they would pour this blood down this sheath or this channel and that blood would flow from the top of the mountain all the way down to the Kidron. In fact, it was said that the, the soil in the Kidron was so rich from all this blood that the soil would be taken and sold by the priests for the temple treasury. And so the word sheath, this channel, is connected to the name Seth or Sheth. And so uh, in this, I believe we see that the righteous one, symbolized by Abel, would be killed by his brothers. But because of his death, the sheath or the channel that, that reconciles God to man comes into being. And perhaps... Uh, the most uh, enriching and most v- uh, vivid account and story of how the Messiah <clears throat> would be uh, despised by his brethren, uh, in a sense would be dead and then resurrected, comes to us in the book of Genesis from the Torah, the story of Joseph. Of course, you know Joseph is, is the one that is favored by his father. Uh, he's given this coat of many colors, uh, and then he, he has dreams. He sees in these dreams that not only is uh, are his brothers going to bow before him, but his father as well. And so he has this dream. He tells his brothers about his dream, and they 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 revile him. They they hate him. They reject him, and in fact they cast him into a pit, and they sell him to. Uh, to some of their kinsmen, the, the Midians, who, who take him on, on, in a caravan. They take him down to Egypt. Of course, we know what happened to him in Egypt. He was placed in prison. But because of his righteousness, because of his ability to interpret dreams, uh, he rose to power. He became the viceroy to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And, you know, God... Uh, esteemed him, God established him, God exalted him because of who he was. And then, of course, we see that later, after he is in this position of power, how his brethren, how Canaan is in the midst of a a dire famine, they're fearing for the lives of their families, and so they go to Egypt because they've heard that there's bread in Egypt, and who do they appear before? They appear before their brother, whom they do not recognize and whom they consider to be dead. According to Genesis chapter 42, 38, 44, and 20, they told Joseph, who they did not know was his brother, they told him that our our brother is dead. 
Our brother is dead. Uh, Joseph is dead. Jacob, Israel, considered Joseph to be dead. At a place of Joseph's choosing, at a time of Joseph's choosing, he revealed to them who he was. He revealed to them, I'm your brother. I'm your brother. You thought I was dead, but I'm alive. When Jacob and the whole family comes down, the whole clan comes down to Egypt to dwell in Goshen, in Genesis 46, verse 30, Jacob basically says, you know, you were dead, but now you're alive. I see you're alive, and now I can die, you know. Uh, he, he, he knew that he was dead, but then he sees him alive. And in fact, through that account, Joseph, who, who tells his brothers, you meant this for harm, but God meant it for good. That's a, that's a key phrase, that God meant this for good. On one level, he meant it for good because Joseph, because of the position that he was in, was able to save his brethren from tribulation. He was able to save them from the famine and brought them into Goshen, into the choicest land there in Egypt, and provided for them during this, this, these dire circumstances. And that's on one level how God meant it for good. But I believe on that level that we're discussing here, that mysterious level, this is teaching us about the Messiah, how the Messiah would be worshipped by his brethren. Uh, but first, he would be reviled by his brethren. He would be cast into a pit. Literally, it's believed, if you go to Jerusalem on tour, there is a place, there's a church or a chapel uh, just south of the old city, just outside of Zion's Gate, um, where it is believed that this was the house of the high priest in this this chapel where this church is built over it. It's believed it was the 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 house of the high priest, and there is a, for lack of a better word, a dungeon or a pit there, and it is believed by many, and I I'm, I'm I lean in this direction that this is probably where Yeshua was kept <clears throat> um, before he was taken over to Pilate the next, uh, early the next morning. But the only way down into this pit would have been to be lowered by a, a rope uh, or some kind of, uh, of lanyard or something. And, and it is a literal pit. So uh, very likely Yeshua was cast into a pit, so to speak. But we know that he was dead, but he was resurrected. And when, and when he was resurrected, he was set down on the right hand of God. He was promoted. He was exalted. And we know that he will save his brethren. He is going to reveal himself to his brethren. He's going to show who he is at a time and a place of his choosing. And he's going to save his brethren from these dire circumstances. So, very quickly, and just to summarize all this, Yeshua was trying to show his disciples then and now that the Torah teaches about him. The, t- the purpose of the Torah is to teach about him, and it shows how he would do all these great and wonderful things, but also that he would suffer and that he would be resurrected.
You're listening to Solace Radio, Monta Vista, Colorado. If you like the programming you hear on Solace Radio, please become a partner with us and donate any amount you'd like, and we'd sure appreciate it. And it helps us to reach more and more people around the world with this great message of hope. Thank you for listening to Solace Radio. Now back to our program. 